0: Good morning, my name is Aaron, I'm one of the pastor elders here, if you're here with us, so glad to see you. If you're joining us online, glad you guys have joined us as well. Happy roadie days, right? Yeah, I went in Brooklyn, Uh, our daughter works down in Old Town, we went and picked her up for lunch and came home for a little bit and when we went back there was like motorcycle cops all over and it had just filled uh, and I think some some people rolled into town from down south and uh, from over east, and uh, I was like, oh, it does kind of feel like roadie days. It was kind of nice to have some energy in Florence. I love roadie days. I know there are others who like just close the curtains and open them back up on Monday morning, and uh, um, I like a little bit of energy. I miss the carnival. Uh, and and the festivities that come with that. At the same time, our kids, and you may hear them during service, are out in the courtyard. We set up our own dang carnival, Dagnabbit, because we're going to celebrate anyway. So if you're home, (laughs) could have been at the roadie carnival. Right here at Florence Christian Church, I don't know what to tell you. Uh, Anyway, well, uh, I didn't grow up with the Rhodey Carnival, I'm not sure if uh, many of you did. My kids grew up with it, and I remember going down there, we'd go on Wednesday night. Used to be back in the day, it was like half price night, because they weren't sure if they had all the bolts tightened and stuff, you know, if you die (laughs) or whatever, Uh, I was like, well, you only paid half price, and so we'd go let our kids ride on that kind of stuff, and uh, I remember the Dragon Coaster just kind of went around in a circle riding that with them, and uh, made me think of of my first roller coaster experience. I grew up in Cincinnati, Ohio, and so we had a little place called King's Island, and uh, that's the home of the Beast, just in case. Uh, The Beast wasn't my first roller coaster. My first roller coaster was actually called the Screaming Demon. And I was about seven years old, and uh, my mom, a good Christian woman, took me on Screaming Demon, <laughs> and I didn't know anything about roller coasters. And so we get up there, and it goes down and goes upside down and back up to the other top, and she said, I got across, and I was just white as a ghost. and just like, whew, I'm so glad that's over. And, uh, and she looked at me, and she said, "Um, we, we still have to go back backwards through this, and, uh, and so went through that, and in fact, I was thinking about it and looking at it, and I actually found a video of the screaming demon. So take a look. I was seven years old when I wrote this. Aaron White as can be, so glad it's over. Oh, no. And back Uh, Appropriate, actually, this morning to talk about the screaming demon. It was a couple of years, actually. I didn't ride a roller coaster when I was eight, uh, when I was nine. And uh, when I was 10 years old, my sister worked at King's Island. She worked at a little pizza, Cincinnati pizza place called La Rosa's inside of King's Island. And uh, there was a new ride opening up, and go ahead and play, uh, called the Vortex. And so the Vortex was opening, I remember we went on one of the very first days that it was going to be open, and we waited in line, and I haven't ridden a roller coaster from my screaming demon terrifying days, and uh, so my sister's like, I've ridden it, because she'd worked there, so she got to ride it early before the park opened for the season, and we're standing in line. There's a possibility that I'm in this line right here. I would have been in my neon jams. Anybody wear jams, right? Yeah, I took a couple of y'all back, huh? And this go just a few seconds further is the vortex there you go yeah and so we're talking it up and we get in and we sit down and we latch in and she's like it's gonna be great it's gonna be awesome and we go down around the corner and start that sound you know click 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 and she was like actually Aaron this is terrifying and, and she scared me to no end, and we click, click, click to the top, and she's like, I'm sorry, are you sure you're built it in? That thing, I've heard it comes loose, and, uh, and, and so the whole way up, and I just, this fear that I hadn't felt in a couple of years was growing inside of me and remembering this feeling, and we got to the top, and, it, and it, you know, that moment right before it lets loose, and it lets loose. And by the time we hit the bottom of that thing, I was totally in love with roller coasters. (laughs) Went through eight loops, a couple of these, a couple corkscrews over and over again. And uh, so those were my roller coaster experiences. But uh, it's interesting what makes people fearful. And what makes people fearful in different moments in time and different times in your life? And I think about this in particular as we roll into this, whether you're afraid of roller coasters or maybe you're more afraid of the little dragon ride because it's a traveling carnival. Maybe it's snakes or spiders, right? Most of us fall into one of those two categories, Heights, or, or maybe it's the depths, the water that you can't see what's beneath you or the bottom of. Maybe it's speaking up in front of people, and that's terrifying. Or maybe it's being alone. And we each have fears and we have things that we go through and in different phases of our life. We have these fears and Luke is seeking to address some of these. And Luke, as he teaches, we continue in this series, we see he teaches in different groupings or segments where he'll put a series of stories together. He's not as concerned about a chronological order, although many of them do fall in chronological order. But he will group things up according uh, to miracles or according to parables, according to straight teaching. That Jesus gives, and we come into one of those groupings of stories today. So, if you have your Bible, uh, you can turn to or scroll to Luke chapter eight. If you don't have a Bible, take a minute, go on the App Store and download U uh, Version, YOU Version. It's a great Bible app, and you can follow along there. So, we're going to pick it up verse twenty-two of chapter eight. It says this, One day he got into a boat and his disciples uh, with his disciples, and he said to them, Let us go out across to the other side of the lake. And so they sent out. And as they sailed, he fell asleep, and a windstorm came down on the lake, and they were filling with water and were in danger. And they went to him and woke him, saying, Master, Master, we are perishing. And so these, uh, these storms that would come up on the Sea of Galilee were nothing to be trifled with. It's not like a rough afternoon out on Woe, Hank, you know, with those four-inch white caps, although I have been out there in a kayak a time or two that I wish that I was closer to shore, and uh, having to fight the wind back to shore in a kayak can be something. But I want you to think more of a Coast Guard cutter crossing the bar when they're doing training. You see, when the storms would roll off of the mountains which surrounded the Sea of Galilee, and the Sea of Galilee, sitting below sea level, these storms would really get rolling. And and living on the Front Range in Colorado, uh, the 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 fierceness of, of thunderstorms and the wind and tornadoes there that would come off because the, the clouds were coming from a high elevation of cold weather down onto warmer land, and they would just really turn up. And that's kind of what's happening here. I mean these and a number of them were experienced fishermen. And what are their words to Jesus? Master, Master, we are perishing. We're in the middle of death. We're about to die, Jesus. Maybe the carpenter doesn't get it. Like the fishermen are like, Jesus, pay attention to what's happening. We are perishing. Let's read verse 24 again. And they went and woke him, saying, Master, Master, we are perishing. And he awoke And he rebuked the wind and the raging waves, and they ceased, and there was calm. And he said to them, where is your faith? And they were afraid, and they marveled, saying to one another, who then is this that he commands even the winds and the water, and they obey him? One of the first lessons that we can learn here uh, is that any time is a good time for a nap. I'm not sure that that's what Luke was trying to get across. Okay, I'm just going to throw that in there. You know, things we can learn from Jesus. But here he is, calm amidst this circumstance. And in Matthew, which talks about the same story, uh, it says this. It says, and when he came, uh, no, I'm sorry, I'm getting ahead of myself. But he stands up, and and I'm interested in Jesus' reaction there. Where's your faith? And I don't know if that was chiding, if that was a finger pointing, or if he was just simply talking about, where does your faith lie? If he was trying to teach a lesson, maybe he's not scolding them, which is how I often first read that. Where's your faith, guys? Maybe he was really asking, where does your faith lie? In this circumstance, in this setting where the water is coming over the sides of the boat, and in their experience, they thought they were about to die. And Jesus rebukes the storm and it's calm. Jesus speaks words to the waves and to the wind and they cease completely. And maybe he's setting that question up. Where is your faith? Where's your faith lie? Where does it reside? Let me give you an option of where your faith can reside. And he speaks things into existence. He speaks peace and he speaks calmness into this circumstance See, what's interesting is that the wind and the waves, they always obey the will of the Father. It's us that doesn't. It's mankind, and actually, as we'll see here in a little bit, it's, it's also uh, angelic beings who have the choice and, and often will disobey the will of the Father as we have fallen angels here in a second. But, but the wind and the waves, nature itself always is obedient to the will of the father and as he speaks those seas are calmed but this stirs up within them other things and other questions who is this we thought we had jesus figured out we've been with him we've seen how he works and the things that he teaches and now we're not so sure that even the wind and the waves obey him who is this We thought we knew, but he is bigger and more grand than we had understood. Let's take a look at verse 26. And then they sailed to the country of Gerasenes, which is opposite Galilee. And and Jesus had stepped out onto land, and there he met a man from the city who had demons. For a long time he had worn no clothes, and he had not lived in a house but among The tombs, And so they sail across the sea. And in in Galilee, they were with uh, a lot of of Israelites and Jewish people. As they sail across this other region, they would have been amongst Gentiles. And as they enter there, a demon-possessed man who uh, had been amongst the people and had had been walking around naked in the tombs. We get another glimpse of this in the book of Matthew. It says this, And when he came to the other side, to the country of the Gerasenes, two demon-possessed men met him coming out of the tomb so fierce that no one could pass that way. And so we get these picture uh, throughout the Gospels of the story of, of a man or two men, and it kind of looks like those two stories are in conflict with one another. Some say maybe they're a different story, although where they fall, falling right after the calming of the storm. It's not likely. It's probably the same story, and yet with one saying that there was two in the book of Matthew, and then Mark and Luke saying that there was one man, these things are not necessary. That doesn't mean that they are... In conflict uh, with one another. I could say that there's a gentleman in the front row wearing a shirt. That doesn't mean that there's not two men in the front row wearing a shirt. Thank you, by the way, for wearing a shirt, (laughs) unlike the demon-possessed guy. Just that the one was the subject of what he was talking about. And Luke, remember, wasn't there. He wasn't seeing these things. He was taking in the stories that he had heard from others and trying to make and compile a, a coherent story. And so maybe he leaned more on Mark's telling and, and the focus of Mark's account when he writes his own account of this. And it says that, uh, that, that he couldn't be calmed that he was a wild man running naked, that they could bind him with chains and he would break them, that he would run out into the desert for a time and return to be amongst the tombs. And so this is the setting of which Jesus arrives on the other side of the lake. Verse 28, And when he saw Jesus, he cried out and fell down before him and said with a loud voice, What have you to do with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? I beg you, do not torment me. For he had commanded the unclean spirit to come out of the man. For many a time it had seized him, and he was kept under guard and bound with chains and shackles. But he would break the bonds and be driven out uh, by the demon into the desert. And so this is an interesting reaction that we have from this demon-possessed man as he recognizes the answer to the very question that the disciples had just asked. Who is this man? What do you have to do with me, Jesus, son of the Most High God? This demon knew exactly who Jesus was. He continues in verse 30. And Jesus asked him, what is your name? And he said, Legion, for many demons had entered him, and they begged him not to command them to depart into the abyss. Now a large herd of pigs was feeding there on the hillside, and they begged him to let them enter into these. So he gave them permission. And then the demons came out of the man and entered the pigs, and the herd uh, rushed down the steep bank into the lake and were drowned. And so here we have them in their recognition, and they begged Jesus, do not send us into the abyss. Now in Revelation, we see a number of times this this thing called the abyss or a a holding place, a place that they would go to await judgment, And, and this verse seems to indicate that they knew that that place existed. They knew what their future was going to entail, and they begged Jesus, do not send us there now. But he asked permission, they asked, can we go into these pigs? And Jesus not sending them into the pigs. See, they wanted to continue their mission of upheaval and bringing confusion uh, and chaos to the world. Being allowed into the pigs would allow them to continue on this mission. And Jesus gives that allowance. Verse 34. Then the herdsmen saw what had happened, and they fled and told it in the city and in the country. And then people went out to see what had happened, and they came to Jesus and found the man whom the demon had gone sitting at the feet of Jesus, clothed and in his right mind, and they were afraid. It's interesting timing for that phrase, right? And they saw the man who had been riddled with chaos, demonically influenced for years, sitting clothed in his right mind at the feet of Jesus. And at this, they were afraid. And those who had seen it told them how the demon-possessed man had been healed. And then all the people of the surrounding countryside asked him to depart from them, for they were seized with great fear. So he got into the boat and returned. And the man from whom the demons had gone begged that he might be with him. But Jesus sent him away, returning return to your home, he said, and declare how much God has done for you. And he went away proclaiming throughout the whole city how much Jesus had done for him. See the two cases of begging, the the demons begged that they might go from Jesus's presence and now this man begs also, Jesus, please let me be with you. Let me just go with you. See, he knew what it was to be under the influence of evil and he wanted to know what it was to be in the influence of the greatest good. Let me go with you and be a part of it. But Jesus had a different plan, and in this moment, this man and Jesus become brothers. Brothers in this. You see, we learned that last week in chapter 8, verse 21, where Jesus said, My mother and my brothers are those who hear the word of God and do it. And Jesus said, Return to your home and tell the goodness of God. And the man left everywhere that he could go and everyone that he could catch, and he shared how good God had been to him. And so we see that this man going, proclaiming, hearing the word of God and then choosing to line his life up with it and they become brothers. Verse 40, And now when Jesus returned, the crowd welcomed him for they were all waiting for him and there came a man named Jairus who was a ruler of the synagogue and and falling at Jesus' feet, he implored him to come to his house. For he had an only daughter about 12 years of age, and she was dying. As Jesus went, the people pressed around him, and there was a woman who had a discharge of blood for 12 years, and though she had spent all of her living on physicians, she could not be healed by anyone, and she came up behind him and touched the fringe of his garment, and immediately her discharge of blood ceased. And Jesus says, Who is it that touched me? And all denied it. And Peter said, Master, the crowds, the crowds surround you and are pressing in on you. But Jesus said, Somebody touch me. For I perceived that power has gone out for me. And when the woman saw that she was not hidden, she came trembling and falling down before him, declaring in the presence of all the people why she had touched him and how she had been immediately healed. And he said to her daughter, Your faith has made you well, so go in peace. And while he was still speaking, someone from the ruler's house came and said, Your daughter is dead. No doubt the teacher, uh, no, do not trouble the teacher any more. But Jesus, on hearing this, answered him, Do not fear, only believe, and she will be well. And when he came to the house and he allowed no one to enter with him except Peter and John and James and the father and mother of the child, and all were weeping and mourning for her, but he said, do not weep for she is not dead, but sleeping. And they laughed at him, knowing that she was dead. But taking her by the hand, he called, saying, Child, arise. And her spirit returned, and she got up at once, and he directed that something should be given to her to eat. And the parents were amazed, and he charged them to tell no one what had happened. Interesting, the different instructions he gives in different settings in time. And yet, here is this moment where people are coming to Jesus for fear of death. After exhausting in, in another circumstance all the medical and, and uh, research and, and all the knowledge of the physicians in the area for the last 12 years and nothing could be done and desperate, she comes to Jesus. And if she can just touch the hem of his garment, she'll be healed. And then this girl who looked to be dead by everybody else, she says she's sleeping her spirit returns to her and she rises to life. You see, we all have fears, fears in the things that we don't fully understand, whether it's in a roller coaster or a traveling carnival. You know, if we have fear of this world and hurricanes and tornadoes and the natural things that can come at us, maybe we have fears of evil that is in the world and the people that embody that evil. And the evil one works in similar ways. Maybe it's not as apparent and out front here in America as it was in this account. And yet the God of this world, that's a lowercase g, is still looking to bring chaos and to bring confusion to this world. And maybe those things that we see or or possibly the things that are unseen, we have fear over. Maybe it's sickness, disease, and death. I saw a quote by D.L. Moody. It said that death may be the king of terrors, but Jesus is the king of kings. Amen. Jesus is the king of kings. And while we have these fears that are very real, that are understandable in the moments that we face them, it's because we don't always remember who we're in the boat with. Where do you find your faith? Where's your faith at? And this is not a finger pointing at you. It's a question that we need to be reminded of. And as much as we've experienced Jesus, sometimes or all the time, we don't have a full understanding of his power. And I think about those disciples again who had spent time with him day and night traveling with him. Him heal people and, and teachings like nobody else had brought before. And yet in this moment, they didn't understand the fullness of his power and his grace. Even though they'd seen firsthand the miracles that he has done. Where do you find your faith? He asked them. Let me give you ample reason to put your faith in me. And I don't know what you've been through. I don't know the fears that you still face on a day-to-day basis. I don't know the things uh, that that in your own perspective are the water coming over the sides of the boat that you don't have control over as much as you've had control in your life at different times that you don't have control over these things and yet he says, where do you find your faith? I want to take a look back at each of these characters just briefly and look at their reactions. And we start here, and these are the things that Luke focused on as he's retelling this story. And he's saying, so that Theophilus, so that you may believe, and therefore so that we may believe this good news, this gospel story that we've heard. Verse 25, it says that the disciples were afraid. They said, we are perishing. And yet both Luke and Matthew record that after he calmed them, they marveled. They sat in awe of his power and his majesty and in his plan. Verse 31, we see Legion begging him, begging him to go from Jesus' presence and not to be in his presence, but to be freed because even evil has to ask permission of the king of kings. And the townsmen, in verse 37, we see were seized with great fear. And yet the man who was freed from the demon, verse 39, went away proclaiming the good news of all the good that Jesus had done for him. The woman who had been plagued by this bleeding said, If I can only touch his garment, verse 21 of Matthew in chapter 9. And yet in verse 47, when she saw that she wasn't hidden any longer, came trembling. I wonder what that trembling was. Was it a trembling of fear of being found out? I don't think so. That doesn't seem to fit within the context of this story. She was trembling because she didn't know what to do with herself after 12 years of having no hope and no freedom from this thing that had plagued her. She now knew that she was healed and she was trembling. I don't know, in excitement, in joy. In understanding that Jesus, if I just touch the hem of his garment, there's still a question in that, I feel like. Like she thought she knew who he was, but then in that moment when she touches him and is immediately healed, she knew this is the Son of God. And the people, when Jesus entered and said that she was sleeping, the little girl, what did they do? They laughed at him. And yet the parents, when the girl raised again, and then got a snack, were amazed and worshipped him. I want to read out of Romans chapter 8. And in Romans chapter 8, verse 31, we see the love of God that's talked about it and, and fear that we are in says, What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, how will we not also with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies, so who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died, and more than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us on our behalf, and who shall separate us from the love of Christ Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword, as it is written, for your sake we are being killed all day long and we are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen. Amen. This reminder when we are in circumstances that bring fear, that bring unknown, that we can't control, we need to be reminded And we need to seek God and search after Him. And He will show us different parts of who He is. He will reveal them to us as we need those things. In Ephesians chapter 4, it says, There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called, to one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is over all and through all and in all, and grace has been given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. He is in all, and over all, and through all. And this morning, we had the great privilege of celebrating uh, with a brother, actually, who has been in God's Word, and has heard what God's Word has to say, and has said, you know what, I want to line my life up with what God's word says. So, I want to invite Dan up along with Steve and, and possibly Linda, I, th- I think. And so, if uh, you guys will come, oh, your guys are over here. Very good. And um, I'm not going to hand it over to Dan and, uh, and the band. Actually, why don't you come up also while they're sharing and, and prepare for what is next?
1: Well, greet Steve and Linda Sylvester. um, They are. I'm going to let them share for a moment first. Can we start with Linda? You have anything to say? Well, I accepted the Lord when I was 20 years old and was baptized at that time. And even though my life has led me in many directions, um, I have always tried to live the Word. And what he expects of me. Go
2: ahead. I had a faith in the Lord for all of my life, but it was a very weak faith. Uh, The only time I really sought the Lord was when I was in trouble. And that was a lot. Uh, and then I met my wife and uh, fortunately uh, she has been stood by has, has stood by me uh, for 43 years and uh, we started coming to this church, uh, little over two years ago. And Dan invited me to come to the uh, Saturday men's group for Bible study. And I said I would. And uh, ever since I've been doing that, I felt getting closer and closer to God. And, With our teaching uh, in the last few weeks, uh, we've been talking about baptism, and I felt now's the time. And to obey, obey the Lord and work in his light, travel in his light, and give myself up to him.
1: Steve has just been a precious brother in our men's Saturday morning group, and as you can tell, he has a very tender heart towards the Lord, and he's a servant also. As we approach this moment, this is a very, very sacred time in our lives. Very sacred. The scripture says in Romans 6, 3, that we are united with Christ through death in him and that's what repentance is and that's what this is all about it's turning away from ourselves and following Christ and we are united with Christ through baptism in his death and when we come out we're united with him in his resurrection and that's where we receive new life So it's a sign of what we confess. And you are our witnesses that Steve has turned from himself to follow Christ. And the angels are rejoicing. The Bible says the angels rejoice when one turns away from himself to follow Christ. That's what repentance is. And it's a witness for Steve as well at this time. So when we... Steve and I are going to take a little break, and we're going to change and get into the tomb over here, and then we'll have a a short time of prayer when we get there. So thanks, Linda. I appreciate it.